0: We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians, and today we actually get to close the section, significant section, in chapter 8 and 9 and 10, and until uh, at the end of not only chapter 10, but chapter 11, verse 1. Christian freedom for the glory of God. That's... The title of the sermon. Let's get an overview uh, about those topics. And it it is an issue of Christian freedom. In Corinthians' context, it is whether to eat or not the food and specifically meat offered to idols. Chapter 8 verse 1 through 13, Paul begins with a general principle. Because there's a two parties in, um, in this dispute among the uh, Corinthian church, church and Christians. And the one uh, group of people who thought they have knowledge, which is true knowledge and truth, And Paul agree with that. In other words, the idols don't exist. Aphrodite, goddess of beauty and sex and uh, Venus in in, um, Romans equivalent, it doesn't exist. So, food offered to that doesn't mean much at all. On the other side, there are people who have impacted over the years of that. And their conscience are bothered. And the knowledge hasn't become really working knowledge that freed their conscience. So they were reluctant and they felt stumbled when others, other Christians ate. And between the two, the same thing is a pride. They're judging each other they're uh, arguing against each other and the general principle Paul drops see actually Paul actually could have done what he did in, in this latter part of chapter 10 which is a practical answers instead of giving that he Paul gives a general principle knowledge pops up but love builds up this is something that we ought to continually remember in terms of true spirituality true spirituality is not about just about content of what you know but how you live that out now when you think about spiritual mature maturity the one camp of people is just knowing Bible knowledge. And my confession, even this morning, I thought I was more mature than my friend Tom Wilkins back in Dallas. Because I was a Bible study leader. I was, I was the small group leader during my, our college days. And he was a, a returning student. He worked in the work field. And then to finish up, he came... He came back to our campus, and he was at working as a bricklayer also too. He now becomes became a, an an architect and built his own house. Isn't that wonderful? Design his own thing. But as we're leading, as I was leading, I thought a lot of things that I know prove that I am more mature. And Tom was a very simple man. Although he was several years older than me, he was so receptive. But in hindsight, now I know I was the immature person. Because around Tom, and Tom's from south, some somewhere in south, so he's a very uh, typical country guy who loves outdoors and who just... Uh, very friendly guy. And he attracted all these people who are not a Christians But they love Tom. Guy from Kenya. And guy from India. And actually, because of them, and because of Tom, I got to know one of them uh, by the name of Josh. But actually, I le- le- later on find out is a His actually real name is Sanjay. So he's an Indian living in Kenya and who became a... The way he talked about Tom, I could sense, although he was a Hindu, he admired Tom's love and care. So they would all gather around every time... There's something going on. On the other hand, I just had a Bible knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And he goes on to a personal example in chapter 9. And if I put it, paraphrase it just a little bit, The point of his example is a positive example. Like me, give up your rights for the sake of the gospel. Paul's life was all about other-oriented life. He actually gave up his rights and privileges. Philippians 2 the mind of Christ, what Jesus has done, was exactly that. By that passage, we could define humility as giving up your rights and privileges. Rightly belong to you, you give up to serve others. That is humility and love. And Paul did that. And he goes on to chapter 10. And give a negative example, historical example, and during the, the uh, wilderness life, from the Exodus to, to to the forty years of journey to to the Promised Land, the Israelites had four sinful patterns, as we have learned. And the the reason why the four sinful patterns were happening was because their presumptuous overconfidence. And Paul is basically saying to the people who are the strong in faith and to our knowledgeable, who actually thought they could go into the temple when there is a celebration. Uh, it, it's a, a lot to do with the culture of the Corinth city. When then, When there is a The biannual games of Isthmus were happening. All these people threw a party. The party was a part of a worship, idol worship. And it was a free food and invitation only. And if you're poor and and slaves are not invited, so it was an honor to be there. And to, to go there and to participate, eat the food, why not? It's free food, and idols don't exist. And Paul, basically, giving that presumptuous overconfidence. Like the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness, if you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. More directly, therefore, flee from idolatry. We ought to give heed to his charge to us also too because idolatry is not just a made up the statue of visible idolatry it could be anything that we replace in place of God including very good thing our family, our children our our house our career and including ministry. And today, the passage, starting with verse 23, and all the way to chapter 11, verse 1. I don't know who divided the chapter, but Paul didn't. There was no chapters and verses. But really, the thought ends in 11.1. 1 he comes up with the practical conclusions. What he does is, he actually answers specific scenarios and gives principles. If we sum it up, it will be, whatever you do in your freedom, do it all to the glory of God. So, practical conclusion has at least four principles by which we could practice our Christian freedom also. So let's ask that question. What concluding principles of Christian freedom does Paul give? Here's principle number one. In exercising your freedom, discern whether it is beneficial and edifying. Verse 23, all things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do you notice that "all things are lawful is a, it has a quotation mark. It's one of those things that Corinthians have little sayings. And probably Paul have taught this phrase, but they're taking Paul's teaching the phrase out of the context and they use it for their own convenience and rationalization. Paul's point is true. We are no longer under the law. We're under grace. So we are not in the chain of The duties and responsibilities of Old Testament law, especially the ceremonial law. The New Testament Christians are no longer under the Old Testament law. But that does not mean all things are literally lawful. All things are literally not lawful because Christ's law, the law of the Spirit, replacing the law of the Old Testament, for it is, and guides, restricts, for the glory of God. So if you look look at... um, (coughs) The typical question that um, legalistic attitude we could ask is, is it lawful? Am I allowed to do it? Why not? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything. So I'm talking about, you could think about not just a, not a black and white things like idolatry, adultery, adultery. Physical abuse of anyone, violence, but what if it's on uh, some of the gray areas? Like I, I know some of some of you guys have done that, and I have nothing against it personally. But what about let's go out shooting? The, e- either uh, you know the pistols or, or, or the M sixteen or whatever that is feels good about that, right? Is it lawful? Am I, am I permiss... Is it permissible? The answer, technically speaking, yes. But that shouldn't be the question. It's not... Sh- the question at hand in practicing Christian freedom ought to be, is it beneficial? Begin with me, my walk. And is it also edifying? It's, does it build others? You see, our life is not our own. We live because Christ has given the new life to us. So we are to no longer live for our own sake, but Christ's sake, for Christ. And Christ will desire that. So are you ready to exercise your freedom not to do it? Remember we defined that early on in chapter 8. The Christian freedom in real sense is not doing whatever you want to do. That's a conventional definition of American freedom. But it is actually Ability to, to not to do whenever you want to stop doing it. If you have to do it, you're enslaved. That's another uh, another way of asking: Is it beneficial for me? If it's if it's heavy for me, if you're weak, and addictive personality, you shouldn't play that game so much. Made you stay up. It might be okay for some people, maybe not you. And we have brothers and sisters who actually stay away from any alcohol because of the natural innate inclination for heavy forming, and, you know, ability to, to handle so much alcohol without problem, which is actually the addiction itself. Can I kind of push the envelope a little bit here in application to where the rubber meets? Is it lawful to go shop these days? There's so many good... I mean, I I didn't know Black Friday was several days. Like Black Friday starts here, and then Cyber Monday. I don't know what else is going on, but but I get all this junk mail, And I get this post, Facebook post, uh, that starts with, like, scored or jackpot. or I guess it's a usually of game stuff. I don't even know. Whatever you feel inclined to. Oh, my thing is a jam or swim, swimsuit is expensive, but it's, when it's Black Friday, uh, you know but I turned it down. Okay, I didn't shop. Would you think about that? When you go to shopping mall and when you, when you go on the internet, the question is, is it beneficial right now for me to spend this much time and energy? And to buy one or two will hook me in more and more. And there are slogans everywhere. Life is short. Just buy it. (laughs) Principle principle number two. In exercising your freedom, seek the good of others as you enjoy your freedom unassumingly. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is solid in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If, If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. There are two aspects on this principle. One is the proactive stance, instead of choosing not to do what stumble others, what makes others stumble, but proactively seeking others best, others good other-oriented life, in other words. And Paul is saying, there are, there will be moments that you will restrict your freedom. You will forego your freedom for the sake of others. But do you notice the difference, though, this time around? It's not all about giving up the freedom. He actually is for the freedom. When you go to the market, just don't ask. Feel free. Practice. Enjoy. Don't overanalyze. Don't over-spiritualize. When your your non-Christians invite you and they offer wine and beer and you don't have any problem with it, go ahead. Don't ask. But if they mention that this food, this meat is offered to idols, Aphrodite, and there are two, two possibilities for that, right? One is a non-Christian who kind of assumes that Christians will not eat offered to food offered to idols. And it gives a little test, whether it's an ill motive, whether it's a curiosity. Don't, don't you guys not eat the meat offered? idols and then uh, the second way is a, non- a Christian brother who is sitting next to you and asking well, you know that meat is the meat offered to idols and that person is a weak brother weak sister and if you eat because your, your conscience is clear and you have freedom, and that person, the non Christian a Christian brother, will be tempted to eat along with alongside of you, and then later on feel really bothered because the conscience, his conscience or her conscience is violated. Non Christian's point of view, or legalistic point of view, because of his conscience that person is judging what you just did which is not sin to God at all But why would you let that happen that's the point do you know there are two poles of dangers and I mentioned several times allow me to mention one more time and one is legalism and legalism comes with the judgmentalism, points fingers, and always you become critical, we should shy away from, way away from that. But our culture is bombarded with another extreme, antinomianism. Antinomianism is you don't need law, license to sin, because under the grace. Oh, they probably not say license to sin, license to do whatever. We're free. The Christ, as a Christians, ah, don't be just so narrow-minded and the fundamentalist doing all that, I stay away from there and, and you become almost, at least on the surface, non-Christians. Which is really the danger? What's the purpose of life? It is my pleasure and my entertainment, or what's the purpose of it? Is my righteous righteousness? The healthy tension I'm going to mention a little later, uh, here and there, is actually a good thing to embrace. Healthy tension between the two. So we are actually celebrating our freedom. Live it out. Live it up a little bit. But in so doing, seek others' good, not just yours. Seek others' good first before yours. Or I could say diff- two different way. The conversely, seek for others. Good. First. But in so doing, don't be a gloomy, negative person. Be bright. Enjoy the freedom God has given you. Be simple. What might be some some things in in our own lives? I think it's, you know, in Christmas season coming, enjoying what we have and giving gifts, a part of a lot of those things can be very relevant context in which you could practice this principle and this tension. In order for us to be just a little more clear let me give you two passages. One is about seeking others' good, and the other one is more danger of uh, getting into the legalism, which is a positive way of saying it is celebrating your own freedom, Christian freedom. 1st Corinthians, that's a typo, I'm sorry. First Corinthians 8, 11 to 13, we have already went through that. Using Apostle Paul's own words, he writes in verse 11, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. That's wonderful freedom Paul has. Freedom to let go of his own freedom and rights. Galatians Galatians, Galatians five, one through three, same Paul writes this for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to the to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Obviously, he's writing this to Gentile Christians who later became, and then because of the Judaizers, the Jewish people who became a Christian, who continually emphasize on being Jew, and God's chosen people, in order for you to be fully God's people, you need to get circumcised as well. And by grace and grace alone? By faith and faith alone? Not really. By faith and faith, faith plus and circumcision. By grace plus circumcision. And that could be the same thing in our, in, our, in our days also too. By faith and keeping these things. X, Y, and Z. Verse 3 I testify again to everyone who accepts circumcision that he is obligate, obligated to keep the whole law. So, brothers and sisters, are you in the good tension? Are you t- tilted one way or the other? This is how you could assess your heart. If you feel critical and continually judgmental, that you are influenced by legalistic attitude. So you need to push away from that. If you careless about what others think, What other people, not just uh, Christians, but non-Christians, would in that model of life that you are little Christ? You need to think about antinomianism. You have a license to do whatever. The freedom that we have given us—how how are we to use it? To serve others in love—that's the freedom. And there are case after case. What comes to my mind is, once again, our good brother and sister, our friend, Wade and Helen. You know, during our sabbatical, God allowed us to pick up all the expenses, traveling expenses. So our entire family, four boys, Kate and me, And Boy and Cindy were able to go to the Buni area. Right? Where a close city that has an airport was a five-hour bus drive. We're sitting there, and you could literally walk about ten minutes. They call it village, and it's a primitive way of living. Because one house we were visited, there were some sounds. Under the crack of the floor, wooden floor, not not the, our uh, nice Orange County wooden floor. The pigs lived under, and Wade kind of humorously said, "And little kids, they're allowed to go pee in between that. So, whatever that comes down, and pigs enjoy. They eat or whatever." So it's kind of really—they don't even have the the ceiling fan that takes up the, all the smoke. So all the walls are usually just black. And I still remember—we're so excited. This was eight years ago. You know, if I think—if I say TVD uh, player for kids, you go. Anybody has that? You know, uh, even. Even Xbox plays, whatever laptop plays, the DVD, you don't need a DVD player. But back then, it was a hot item. You could take it anywhere. Or they didn't have minivan, didn't have a video player on, on you know installed. So we bought one for our kids and bought second one as a gift. Wade and Helen, the Taylor and Kiel would love that. And they were enjoying it so much. There was a Christmas time that we heard that ki- village kids will vi- visit. Wade unoobsumly, Lee, Lee said to me. "Paul, uh, I think those things will be too much for the village kids. They're going to shock kids shock too much. But I think we should just put it aside while they're visiting." In my mind, that never came through my, my, my heart. Because, oh, this is our kids, and this is a perfect childcare system. They could just watch it, you know? But when he was right, village kids came, and they saw the ceiling uh, under the fan um, air duct system. They were mesmerized that there was no white, black, stuff on the wall although they contextualize they really live in a very simple life what they had is already luxurious to the people that is choosing to see good of others but as soon as the kids left Wade and Helen were so fine with kids watching video on the video DVD player Principle number three, in exercising your freedom to all, to the glory of God. Verse 31 to 33 is so important, not only for this context, but entire Christian life. As a matter of fact, Westminster Shorter Catechism, number one question, what is the chief end of mankind? And came out of this verse 31. Verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The overarching principle is to seek the glory of God in everything we do. Easier said than done. Because what ends up happening in our mind, we compartmentalize everything. Oh, so when you go to church, yeah, do it for the glory of God. We tell the kids not to cuss, not to use a bad language on Sundays. But what about the regular, regular days? It's so seemingly, there's kind of areas, uh, so for some people, it's a finest, God doesn't touch. For some people, it's a entertainment, hobbies, God doesn't touch why we, we actually God touches everything but we don't allow God as if we could have a control the compartmentalization can happen this is really the issue of what is sacred and what is secular Paul's mind every aspect of it the principle is twofold in here. Actually, it's a loving God and loving our neighbor. Loving God by pleasing Him, aiming to glorify Him. Everything we do, does this please God? That should be our chief end. And do you know, for those of you who went through catechism, no. And exceeding joy joy, series, a Joy in God series, we went over that. The chief end of man is to glorify Him, glorify God, there's an end in enjoying Him forever. In other words, when we glorify God, we are most happy. Happiest state of our mind and Really full soul of it. Why? I want you to get this. Really look at me. When you are going through this Exodus study, you know about God, that God is self-existent. I am that I am, means that God doesn't have any need. God didn't create. This is a kind of subtly wrong theological concept, sneaked into evangelical world also too god created human being because he needed fellowship from us and worship from us that god needs our worship no god is self-existent god is there is no need in him self-sufficient god then question is why Because of our own good. The every best good things is in God's glory. When we worship Him, that's our best. I want to share the insight from Ada Tozer. Many of you started... Uh, uh, the pursuit of God, which I would re- recommend everyone must read, but the old language and it's, it's, his language is so his concept is so dense in sentences. Uh, maybe first chapter and second chapter you finished. He shares from the last chapter, which is about this verse. I'm going to save it until the end. Let me share the fourth, fourth principle first. In exercising your freedom, follow the example of Christ. Verse one of chapter 11, Paul says, "Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ." In First Thessalonians verse, chapter one, verse six, he puts it this way: "You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the Word in much in affliction, with a joy. Of the spirit. His ultimate conclusion. About what to do with Christian life. And Christian freedom is. Look at Christ. And follow him. Follow his example. Well, actually. He was bold enough. And transparent enough. And thoroughly congruent enough. Said you look at me. And follow my example. As I am following. Christ's example. Honestly, I can't say that yet. I'm trying to, to live out the gospel in front of you, and there are some aspects I wish you could imitate me. But there are other aspects I am. I fall, stumble over and over, to not learn from me, to, to learn from what not to do from. From me in this. So this is a wonderful thing as a spiritual leader to, to say, you imitate me without pride. He's saying that. Why? Because everything that he's talking about, the life of Christ has an example. Jesus came that he might serve, not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus surrendered his rights and privilege to serve us. To seek our best. So in, in some sense, I think Paul's strong urge is that as people are following his example and then see his example of following Christ, this transforming culture happens. And that's my hope and prayer as well. That we could actually imitate each other. We could actually follow examples of each other. Especially to the new Christians who are coming in, or the new members coming in, that you learn good things. And I'm grateful. Even yesterday, there are, there are people who are serving behind the scene. And, and not to mention Jessica you know, serving every time chewing childcare. He organizes it. Missed the fun part. And Jamie came instead of sitting when, with Stan. She actually set out so that Kate can sit it. And doing childcare. Not glorious thing. following the example of each other as we follow Christ. You know why that is so needed, right? Because to say to glorify God with our life is too conceptual. So I remember my mentors, my grandma, my mom, and the spiritual leaders in my upbringing and I see Jesus with skin on in front of me. We are to be little Christ to each other. Oh, by the way, the, it is not just for the Christian brothers and sisters. Did you notice that when I say twofold, loving God and loving neighbor, Paul's mind was all about the seeking the best of people, which is salvation in Christ. Let me conclude with this excerpt. A.W. Tozer writes, one of the greatest hindrances to internal peace which the Christian encounters is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular. This is the old sacred-secular antithesis Most Christians are caught in this trap. They cannot get a satisfactory adjustment between the claims of the two worlds. They try to walk the tightrope between the two kingdoms and they find no peace in either. Their strength is reduced, their outlook look confused, and their joy taken from them. I believe this state of affairs affairs to be wholly unnecessary we have gotten ourselves in the horns of a dilemma true enough but the dilemma is not real paul's exhortation to do all to the glory of god is more than pious idealism it is an integral part of the sacred revelation and is to be accepted is a very word of truth. It opens before us the possibility of making every act of our lives contribute to the glory of God. Lest you be too timid to include everything Paul mentions, specifically eating and drinking. This humble privilege we share with the beasts that perish. If these lowly animal acts can be performed as to honor God, then it becomes difficult to con- conceive of one that cannot. You see his point, isn't that awesome? It's it's so good? If eating and drinking can really glorify God, what else? Do you like playing golf? Play golf for the glory of God then all the Christian, Christian freedom principle, that you will practice it right there. Do you love your job? Do it for the glory of God. Do you love your kids, your family? Do it for the glory of God. At the minimal acts of cleaning your house and cleaning your bathroom, do it for the glory of God. When you serve your guests in Christmas you know, gatherings, do it for the glory of God. When you make love with your wife and your husband, do it for the glory of God. When you grieve and your heart aches and hold on to your faith, because your loved one is sick, do it for the glory of God. Then you will be free. Then your joy will be full. And I saw it on the face of my brother. He barely says words because his speech impediment is so, so bad now. But there is thankfulness and peace. So everyone sitting around him, we are impacted by that. And my sister-in-law's testimony as well. May God teach us to live to the glory of God in every aspect of our lives. By the way, that's my commitment to live like that. And I would, I would like to set a better example for you. But then when I actually sign my emails, that is precisely why I do it. For His glory. I want to remind myself continually that everything that I do in ministry, in family life, in my, in my leisure, I want to do it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful, timely message from the Corinthians, First Corinthians series. And this is the very word we, our church needs. The glory of God becomes so appealing to us that we would like to aim our, our entire life purpose on it. Because we see the joy, the foolish joy in it. Would you make us that kind of people who are utterly and radically transformed that glory of God is not a duty, but our joy? And as we practice our freedom, would you teach us how to love others, how to be other-centered and other-oriented? And we thank you for the life uh, examples that you've given us in our lives. The godly people, men and women, who shows us how it could be done. We're so thankful for those uh, loved ones and family members, mentors, and brothers and sisters in our own men's and women's group as well. We give you glory. And we rejoice in you. We belong to you, Abba. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.